When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Welcome back to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast for Dentists. I'm your host today, Justin Short, with several incredible co-hosts who I'm excited to introduce to you. As you may know, we're not a very heavy interviewish e podcast. We feel that there are plenty of pods out there that do that. It's been done. It's fine. But a lot of times you hear the same stuff over and over. So we try to keep it real and all that we bring to you and boil it down to the things that will actually make an impact in your practice in your life. Not just kill time, which is just really wasted time. So And I could be wrong, but I don't think we've had any female docs on the podcast before. It wasn't on purpose. Derek, you know, is against women, but I'm not. Either Steve. Just kidding. But I would say our client base is is more heavily weighted to males. But I'll also say that I've had some absolutely incredible female clients over time. And today, I actually have three of them with me. So not only are we jumping in with female clients. But this will also be the first time we've had three guests on the same podcast. And so we'll see how it goes. You guys should have seen the behind the scenes of trying to get this scheduled. It will be interesting because I am no Lester Holt or Matt Lauer. Well, I'm no Matt Lauer for several reasons, but bear with us if it's not perfectly smooth transitions. But anyways, without further ado, I'd like to introduce... Doctors Paula McPherson, Jennifer Wollers, and Alexandra Martin. Ladies, it's great to have you. Thanks for agreeing to be on with me today. That's when you guys say, oh, yeah, no problem, Justin. Sorry. Thank you so much, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just joking. I just want to make a quick mic check there. So I will say that I know each of these women, and they are leaders, they are moms, they are wives, they are doctors, they are butt kickers. At least a couple of them invest in real estate. And yet I know they all have similar yet different perspectives and they have a ton to offer. So let's just kind of jump in. Paula, let's start with you. First, tell us you know, a little bit about you, where you're from, about your family, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, thanks very much for having us on. This is quite exciting. I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, so I'm on the east coast of Canada, and I'm the second oldest of six kids. Three of us are dentists. My father is an oral surgeon, and his father was a dentist, so it's in the fam. And uh, I graduated from dental school here in Halifax at Dalhousie University in 2008, and I actually opened a practice from scratch in 2012. We had uh, four-month-old twins at the time. And then we had a couple other kids in the next couple of years. So we're, we're pretty busy. We've got four young kids. Everyone's in hockey and lots of sports and uh, running the practice when I'm not doing that. Start up with twins. It sounds yeah, simple just enough. Take it easy. Alex, how about you? I'm here in Tucson, Arizona. I graduated from dental school in 2018 up in Phoenix. And then we came, we actually moved to Oregon, practiced out there for a year. I found a practice in Tucson. While I was pregnant, I purchased the practice, went on maternity leave. The selling doctor kind of covered my maternity leave then and COVID. And now here we are. I'm having another baby. Awesome. Congrats. My son is two now. And so, yeah. Cool. Everything's been pretty good. No Once family again. dentists. 
Yep, me either. So once again, I'm pregnant. I decided eh, I'll buy a practice. Jennifer, how about you? Yeah, so hi. Uh, thanks for having me. I graduated from dental school in 2010, and me and my husband, we I first practiced in North Carolina, then we moved to Wisconsin, and then we have now settled in Atlanta, Georgia. And so five years ago, I bought an office in Marietta, Georgia, a suburb outside of Atlanta. And I'm a mom of three kids, and I've had, I had, they were two and three when I bought the practice, my oldest two, and then I did have one three years ago. So they're three, seven, and eight. Awesome. That gives us a little uh, context there. Now, if you guys, let's hear about your practices. How long have you been there? How many ops do you have? How many team members, procedure makeup? How many days do you work? Hope you guys are jotting all that down. If you're willing to share, how much do you produce a month? And what do you expect to do in 2021? We're just going to go right in for, for the deep personal questions. So Alex, let's start with you there. All right. I've been here for about two and a half years. I have five ops. I just added the fifth and I've got five team members. We're producing about 120 a month. We're on track to produce 1.4 million this year. And I really do bread and butter a lot of crowns, some ortho, very few extractions and no endo, no implants. Jen, how about you? Yeah. So I have owned the practice now for five years. I have seven ops, but I use five of them consistently. I have 18 members and I should preface that Georgia is a little different that one dentist can have as many hygienists as they want. So I practice four days a week, three of those days being three hygiene, uh, do a ton of bread and butter dentistry. I do minimal endo, no implants. And then I do have the Solea laser. So I've gotten really heavily into sleep dentistry. Cool. Do you mind sharing what you produce on an average month? Oh, correct. Yeah. So on an average month right now, we're averaging about 195 to 200 per month. So I'm on track to do about 2.3 this year. Awesome. How about you, Canadian Paula? Canadian Paula opened about 10 years ago. So January will be 10 years. And I don't even think I told you this, Justin, but next summer, I'm actually moving down the road to a new location and expanding and getting an associate. So that's that's exciting. I didn't think I'd be opening two dental practices, but here we are. Um, so I've got five ops. Uh, when I started, I just basically fit up one, did all my own hygiene for the first six months and kind of added chairs as we got busy. So we're now at all five are full. I've got two restorative, so two uh, assistants, and then I've got three hygienists working and two admin. I work Monday to Wednesday, and then I have the rest of the squad in on Thursdays. So the hygienists will do cleanings then. And then I have one administrator in on Fridays. And we are on track to do about 1.5 this year. I do a little bit of everything. Uh, I would most enjoy like restoring implant cases. I love ortho, but just a lot of bread and butter general dentistry. Um, there's not a whole lot that I wouldn't at least touch on a little bit, but then the tougher stuff refer out to the specialists. Cool. So moving on, you've each had children since you've owned your practice. And I know that is a much tougher situation to juggle for female business owners and doctors than it is a guy, in my opinion. And I think we can all agree on that. Guys have it much easier, praise God. And I know that is a concern for a lot of female doctors. What would you tell a female doctor that asks you like, Logistically, how do you do it? As the time draw near, as the time draws near, I know it's harder to keep moving, you know, later on in the pregnancy. And then once the baby comes, how do you keep the practice 
moving while you're out? What would you tell them? Any pointers you've learned, et cetera? Jennifer, we'll start with you. Um, so yeah, I definitely have all three of my kids while I was practicing and you're correct in the beginning, it's a lot easier. And then as you get bigger, you know, it gets a little harder, but I found that the patients, if I kind of joked and rolled with it, that they found it funny as well. Like, wow, my ba- your baby was kicking me throughout the procedure. I'm so sorry. Didn't mean for that to happen. And then I was, when I had my third o- with ownership, I was definitely concerned about stepping away. But what I found was the team was very supportive and the patients were very supportive. And I did try to hide. I don't know if it was correct or not, but I did try to hide it because I had recently purchased the practice and I feared that people would run away from a pregnant female owner, but I found it to actually be the opposite. So I would, my advice would be don't run away from it. Don't be scared. People always love new life, accepting more people into the family. Um, So I would encourage people, there's no good or perfect time to have a child, but you know, when it's right for you to just go for it. That's interesting that you picked up that Instead of people shying away from it, actually embracing it and it pulling people towards you. I had never really thought about that, but it's uh, it's cool that you noticed that. Paula, how about you? Yeah, so we had like four kids and opened the practice within a four-year span, which um, I don't highly recommend, but that's that's how it went. So for me, it wasn't so much the being pregnant part. It was the still growing my practice and not really being able to afford getting an associate right away at those early days. So I I basically had to return back to work sooner than I would have liked. Physically, I think you can work around it, but more just, you know, you want to be with your baby, obviously. So I would say like, if I could give myself three pieces of advice or, or someone else who's going through the same thing, I think having really great help at home is huge. And it doesn't just have to be when you're at work. If you, you know, when I was working three days a week, I'd still have someone on that fourth day. So if I wanted to run and get groceries without several children, I could do stuff like that. I also got some help with my mother or aunt bringing the baby to the office in those early days so that I could nurse in between patients and that kind of stuff. Cause I couldn't take much time off with number three and four. And, you know, finally, just giving yourself some grace, like you're not going to be rock star mother, business owner, crushing numbers, abs of steel. It just, you know, we all like to push ourselves, but you have to kind of put things in perspective and, and take it one day at a time. Yeah, it's a good perspective. I'm still working on the abs of steel <laughs> for the record. Same here, Alex- Paula. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, how about you? I think it's really important to have a good support system. The biggest thing that I've learned is I can't do it all. And having somebody in the house that can help grocery shop, cook, run errands, and clean, do all that makes my life a lot simpler and gives me a lot more time with my son. I feel like, like both the girls said, I think Jennifer said this, the patients end up loving the babies. They love hearing about them. My patients remember my son's birthday, ask about him all the time. And now that I'm pregnant again, they're very excited. You know, we're kind of breaking the news to the patients right now in six months. I'll be giving birth. I'll be on maternity leave. And they're they're all okay with it. As far as what my plan is, then I really want to hire an associate and have them kind of come in for the maternity leave and then stay on. I don't know exactly how that will work yet, but that's the plan. And I plan to just stay home, work on my abs of steel and call it a day. Glad to hear you're working on the abs. I didn't really catch anything else you said, but no. So good, good stuff. Thank you guys for sharing. And I don't want to just focus on the motherhood or female aspect because you each are very successful business owners by any standard, male or female. You each also began coaching at very different points in your practice and career. And I'd like to hear more about kind of the why. Why did you decide 
to engage in coaching. Jennifer, let's start with you. I know you've utilized coaching in several areas in the past. You are already doing well by many standards, producing 160000 a month. What made you decide now is the time? Why did you choose TLP in particular? Because I know we've joked before that you were afraid I'd be mean. I think Paula used to joke about that too. So what are your thoughts? We'll start with Jennifer. Yeah. So my thoughts, I remember joking with you, worried that you would be mean. I was worried that you would be too direct, too harsh, too critical of what I was doing. And that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for encouragement, goal setting, and just clarity around my life. So my big reason for jumping in for coaching was, yes, I was doing well by most people's standards, but it still felt chaotic and out of control. I had three kids at home. I felt like I was missing out of that on their life at home. And I wanted some organization and structure. And I had listened to your podcast for well over a year before I made the phone call. And so I was hopeful that you could give me that structure that I was looking for, for my work home life balance, which I hate that term because I think I've kind of come to when I'm at home, I'm all in at home. And when I'm at work, I'm all in at work. Um, That's the balance that I have found. And you've brought that for me, goal setting, boundaries, and just it's amazing once you set those goals, you surpass anything you thought you could do. Yep, 100%. It's been it's been fun to watch. Alex, you were the opposite. We started before you closed on your practice. And I know because I've been there and I hear it all the time, but I know it's a big leap of faith to hire a coach at any point, but especially before you even made that first dollar in your practice. How did you make that decision? What was your practice doing when you took over as far as numbers too? So I heard you on a podcast and I knew that the way you practiced, I like your style. Um, I definitely did not want to work four to five days per week for 30 plus years. So really, that's why I started working with you. And like Jennifer said, that goal setting has just been like, it's just critical. It's like you look at these goals that you set a year ago and you doubled them. It's crazy. And you really helped with that and also just get everything in my practice kind of systematized. So when I bought the practice, they were collecting about 735000 per year. And so... You've grown quite a bit. Yeah. All thanks to you. Not true. All thanks to you putting in the hard work. Paula, you were kind of in the middle. You had been practicing in your location for a little while, several years actually. Um, and I've shared your story with others in the past uh, because, in my in- opinion, it's very inspiring. Um, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to read the excerpt from the very first email you sent to me. If I can. Yeah, have at her. All right. It says, Hey, Justin, just reaching out to you out of despair, basically. My schedule is falling apart and I am struggling to pay my bills. I haven't paid myself in a month. I just saw your ad on Facebook and thought it wouldn't hurt to touch base. Boy, were you wrong. In probing a little deeper after that email, you know, we had emailed back and forth and I discovered Paula was producing on average about 45000 a month. You were averaging about two crowns per month per looking back at our emails. And at that time you had the four little ones we've talked about already at home and you were working, I forget, was it four or five days a week? I was working either three or four. I never worked five, but at one point I foolishly did some Saturdays, which I quickly ended. Right. And then, and I still keep it and I look at it when I need inspiration. But one of the <laughs> last texts I received from you, just as we were finishing up, you said, What do you think? Over 100,000 in production, including 18 crowns the last few months. I've been thriving at work. Thank you. And 
I know you did that in three days a week. So yeah. sorry to steal your thunder, but anything you'd like to add or take away? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I've heard those lines before because I know you've shared them and, and I did write them, but it seems like a lifetime ago. So, so much has changed in that time. But it, yeah, that kind of summarizes a lot of the coaching experience for me. When I made the decision to open, you know, it's, it's a big expense and I had zero patience. Um, and, you know, I, I, like I mentioned, had two more kids after that. So it's, it's hard to really go all in at work. And, you know, it was definitely a struggle in the beginning, which I knew it would be, but of course you can never, truly appreciate it until you're there. And it was tough making decisions on my own, managing the team, how to find new patients, how to produce more, how to do, you know, good quality ethical dentistry, but still produce the kind of money that you need to to run a successful business. So working with you, Justin, was was such a key part. I hired you at the right time when I was done having babies and I was ready to kind of go all in. And you really helped push me through kind of those, just those mental barriers that we set for ourselves sometimes with thinking, oh, I can't do this or this is too hard or just limiting beliefs, basically. So it gave me a lot of the confidence to lead my team in the way that I wanted to. And, you know, the benefit of starting from scratch was that everyone in my practice really is a true extension of me and I didn't inherit anything or anyone that that wasn't a reflection of me in the type of practice I want to have so yeah it's uh it's been a long long time since that email and lots changed and a lot of it was from your help and coaching Justin thanks but again and from like your yelling help, at me right that was the yeah, thing exactly. that was the thing I had posted in the in the Facebook group, I said something about no more yelling as a joke. And Derek texted you and said, do you actually yell at your clients? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? <laughs> there was no yelling. There was no right. yelling. My bark's bigger, my bite. So moving on, I believe that success is a daily habit. Just because you've had a great month or a great year doesn't guarantee you're going to have another great month or great year. In your mind's what sets you and your practice apart? How or why are you able to have the level of success you do when we all know there's others out there struggling? Is it leadership, location, team, procedure mix, mindset, hustle, good looks, luck, business acumen? What would you guys say? Alex, let's start with you. It's a very strong mix of all of those. But mostly good looks and abs. Exactly. Good looks, good location. I have a great demographic. Honestly, I really think something that you really drove home that was really important is showing up every day and willing to give 100% and inspiring and working with the team to do the same. We're really lucky. You know, I'm here three days a week. My team is comes in the other half day and we're not burnt out. We work hard. And yeah, that's really, it's a mix of all of that. Cool. Paula, how about you? Uh, I would say, you know, of course, it's definitely multifactorial. There's no one answer to, to how you become successful. And we all know there's many dentists out there who are great clinicians and treat their patients really well, but maybe struggle on the business end. And I have found, you know, since we went through this coaching process that probably the biggest factor, or at least the starting factor is leadership. So I always say that, you know, you're leading your team, whether you're intending to or not. So sometimes we have to take a step back and say, how are we leading them? What example are we setting? You know, what environment are we creating in our space? How are we teaching our team to treat patients? And, uh, you know, that all comes from us. So you've got to have that drive, of course. And with really good leadership, you can attract an amazing team. And I don't think any of us could ever say we were successful without having a fantastic team of people who represent us and make our lives easier. 
And from there, I think, you know, leadership and a good team, you can attract the right patients and, and really have the space and the environment that you want. And from there, I think the sky's the limit with what you can set. Agreed. Jennifer, what would you say? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to piggyback there on Paula because I do agree that um, I think leadership, I think what you taught me was that um, how I'm behaving, how I'm acting affects the team. If I'm here to work, they're here to work. We work, we have fun. And it's amazing how we're working harder, but our stress level is significantly lower. So I just think it's that intent. Like I'm not here to work and check email and do all this other stuff. I'm here to work. And then I will throw out there, I know people argue location, this and that. I'm in a huge city. I have a dentist next door to me. Like we can throw stones at each other. And yet I still think I'm successful. And so while everyone argues location, location, which I do think plays a role, I do think who you are, who you lead your team to be and um, what your patient, your patients see that too and how you present plans to them, what you show them, and not being scared to speak the truth to them. So I appreciate you for giving me that courage to do that. Good stuff there. I think just kind of to boil it all down into one sentence, it really comes down to good looks is what you guys are saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, we're going to kind of do a rapid fire round here with just a few random scenarios to get your takes. So first question. You have a hygienist who you'd rank as a six on a scale of one to 10. You've trained on co-diagnosis. You've went through slides, what to say when patients present with different things. You've practiced using the intraoral camera, but it's still not happening consistently. Or maybe it's, you know, let's say it's happening 20% of the time. What's your next move? Jen, let's start with you. Yeah, I pull them aside and just say, hey, Derek, what's going on? We've got the tools. We've done the training. Like, I want to hear it from you, why it's not happening. Alex, what about you? I would like to say that I would do the same thing as Jennifer. And if they just can't figure it out, I would probably start looking for someone new. Paula? So anytime I run into a tough scenario, I do the hardest thing we ever have to do, which is one-on-one conversations. I don't think anyone loves those. But whenever I have to have a one-on-one about something, I you know I bring the employee in and I just check in and say, how are you doing? Coming from a place of empathy, like you don't need to kind of bulldoze those conversations, but just saying, how's everything going? Because these people have lives outside of the office. Maybe it's completely unrelated to, to work. You know, I've noticed A, B, and C and why they're not working, explain what your problem is with them and what you're looking for and just have an open conversation. And when I end those conversations, you know, I'm very direct and clear, but again, empathetic. And I always say, okay, well, listen, I'm going to schedule something in two weeks. And I literally with them there, put it in the schedule and we'll follow up to see how you're doing. And that way it's not intimidating, but they know, okay, like I've been addressed and there's a follow-up. So things need to change or, and then, you know, then you have a decision to make in a couple of weeks. Good. So none of you are just going to brush it aside and ignore it. No, that doesn't no. work. <laughs> no. So, all right. So sounds like you're all going to sit them down and talk about your good looks. I got it. <laughs> Next, <laughs> knowing what you know now, having the experience you have, you go by another practice. Your first week of exams, you have a patient who was in six months ago and you see they were given a clean bill of health. It's very obvious they have three teeth that are in serious need of crowns. Do you tell them about all three of those? None of them? One, two? Paula, start with you. Yeah, so this one is is kind of a delicate situation. I didn't buy a practice, but of course I'll see patients who were with Dr. So-and-so for 30 years and, and they come in with maybe, you know, some work that I see that would need to be done. So 
you know, I kind of have to gauge it on a patient by patient basis. So you kind of want to see their demeanor. Some people come in with that exterior that's a little tough and they're like, I only left because my other dentist retired type attitude. And then the severity of the restoration. I find intraoral pictures go a long way in these kinds of scenarios. So sometimes I'll take like, let's say there's those three teeth. I'm going to take pictures of them and say, you know, so this is what I'm seeing. And, and they can usually understand when you say that. And then you might mention like, you know what, this one here has got a bit of a gap between the filling and the tooth. It's quite big. It's going to be bigger. I think we should replace the filling and do a crown on it. These two guys might be next. And that way you're not overwhelming them, but you're educating them and and doing the, the proper treatment at the same time. Good. Jennifer, how about you? Yeah, I agree with Paula. I kind of approach it seeing where the patient's at. I definitely take intraoral pictures of them. I have a TV screen on the wall that I kind of set it in front of them and I try to sit shoulder to shoulder with them and just kind of look at it with the patient, evaluate it. And I try to read, I try to meet the patient where they're at. Like some people jump on board. Oh my gosh, that looks terrible. Let's fix it. Some are like, well, six months ago I was healthy and it, you know, they like to play the wait and see game. I try to like Paula point out the well, it's broken here. This is this. This is decay or cavity. And uh, just see, I kind of see where they are. I don't neglect it, but I just, but cramming three of them down their throat is often going to push them away as well. So if I can get them to understand the value of why they need it and them wanting the treatment, then they're more likely to proceed forward and they're more likely to be invested in that procedure with me. Alex, how about you? I think I agree with both girls. Something that I do, I try to have the patient sit up, I look them in the face and I say, what's most important to you about your teeth? And then I can kind of address and kind of gauge where they're coming from. And then I address things based on what's most important to them. And um, other than that, I think intro or photos, like, like they said, can be on their level. And I like to give my patients just kind of, here's, here's what I'm seeing. And here's what we can do. We can always do nothing. And usually they, they go with it. I like how you all brought up evaluating the patient. Not all patients are the same. Some you can get away with telling all three. You know, I think either way, we've got to let them know what's going on. But how we take it from there based upon the demeanor and attitude in the person that they are um, and using the intraoral, I think. All good points. Um, Next bonus round, lightning round question. Do you offer a bonus to your team? And if so, what's an average bonus amount that your team earns? Alex, let's start with you. We do offer a bonus system and it's somewhat kind of like your 20% that you talk about. Um, And the team has been averaging about $800 per month. Awesome. Paula, how about you? Same. I have sort of a variation of the 20%. I incorporate production and collections. So we are just about a year in with our third hygienist. So we're still kind of navigating. I just gave out my last bonus last week. I think it was $450 each. Awesome. Jennifer? Yeah. So I've kind of gone through several different bonus systems with the team. And the one you helped me implement has been the most successful. And since we've implemented that, they've been averaging about $1,200 a month. So if I get back into dentistry, I'm going to come work for one of you three. Hopefully. (laughs) All right. Regardless of your answer to this next question, no one is going to take it as arrogant. I know all three of you, and I know you're not arrogant or boastful, but if God came down right now and said, you have to sell your practice and move across the country in any direction and either purchase or start another practice, do you have any concerns it would be successful? Jen? No. Alex? None. Paula? I can't say be easy, but I think we can make it successful. 
Yeah. Awesome. And I think, and I felt the same way. And I, I always want clients to feel that same way because once you learn how to, you know, have the right mindset, how to lead a team, things, all the things you guys have been discussing already, you can do it again. You know, it's not like it's magic in this one particular location with this one set of patients with this one team. No. Once you have the skills, you have the skills, period. All right, moving on. Knowing what you know right now, take yourself back to your first year out of dental school. You're just getting ready to purchase a practice, your first practice, and right before closing, someone comes up to you and gives you $100,000. But there's a caveat. You can't spend it on your practice or personal luxury items. You have to spend it on skills or CE or some type of investment to set you up for success in your practice and or life. How are you going to spend that money? Paula? Well, I honestly would say coaching. I I think that the guidance you can get, especially early in your career, I mean, you're just going to, you're going to have a less stressful practice life. You're going to be working less and you're going to be making that extra money within the business while doing, you know, good quality, proper ethical dentistry. And, you know, obviously CE courses are, Awesome. And I can't wait to take some more and travel when, when we can do that a little more easily. But um, when you're first getting out, there's so much to learn about just your own clinical skill set that you're not going to be diving into really complex clinical courses. So coaching, I just think would be, you know, extreme return for sure. And Jennifer, how about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I would, knowing what I know now, I would definitely, for the business aspect, I would invest it in coaching. And then I would definitely take something and I know you're big in investing real estate, but I would take some and invest in a real estate property. How about you, Alex? Those were literally my two kind of thoughts also. Definitely hiring a coach and getting into real estate investing right away. Good. Well, evidently you all got the memo. If you didn't say coaching, then you were just going to be cleaned off this podcast completely. You can send us that uh, check in the mail there. Right. It's in the mail. (laughs) Um, So we just kind of touched on it um, just very briefly, but... Um, Jen and Alex, I know you both invest in real estate. Can you briefly tell us where, how, and why you decided to invest in real estate and what kind of properties do you have? Alex, we'll start with you. All right. Um, we have three properties in Missouri and Justin, you've helped us with those. You kind of, kind of brought them to us and said, here's what we got. And you've kind of made it very plug and play as far as property management. You've hooked us up with the mortgage broker, all of that. And uh, they're single family homes, about two bedrooms, two baths ish. And I look forward to going there one day and checking them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You guys will have to visit. Jennifer, how about you? Yeah, so we kind of lucked into, I guess, the first one. When we moved from North Carolina to Wisconsin, we knew Wisconsin would not be a long-term move. So we rented out our townhome that we had purchased right out of school. And that one's just turned, we kind of got lucky, I feel like, with everything. And so when the with everything with COVID and we started investing here in Atlanta. So we now have four properties in Atlanta. So, and they're all like you're saying, kind of three bedroom, two bath um, properties, two are townhomes, two are uh, three are single family homes. And uh, so, yeah, it's been good. Moving on classic question here, but I also think it speaks volumes and gives insight. You've got, let's just say five minutes. And I'm not even going to give you five minutes, but let's just say you had that. To go back and talk to yourself as a new graduate, 
or let's say you're just getting ready to become a new practice owner. What are some things you're telling yourself to ensure you're giving yourself the best opportunity for success? Can have to do with skills, investing, leadership, how to spend your money, how to make money. Just what are kind of some of the bullet points you would want to cover with yourself at that point? Alex, let's start with you again. All right. Definitely never doubt yourself. Don't be scared to pull a trigger, the trigger on your first real estate investment property. Definitely find role models, read their books, listen to their podcasts. Don't be a slave to insurance companies that reimburse like crap. Drop them, you'll survive. And really, it's like just don't be scared to, if something that you don't feel is working for you in your practice, stop doing it. The worst thing that could happen is it doesn't work out and you have to go back to doing it to survive. But normally that doesn't happen. Right. And you're better off. Exactly. Paula, how about you? I would say, you know, those first few months out of school, first year, really work on just gaining good clinical skills. You know, I think you learn so much more in the first like month than you do in those last couple of years of school, just being with patients and, and on your own. So really focus on that. And when it does come time to own, make sure you're, you're leading by example, trust your gut when you're making decisions about your practice and your team. And I always found if I was making a change to the practice, whether it was scheduling or adding a new op, you know, you'd kind of obsess over it a little bit and then you make the change. And like you guys just said, I mean, it just, everything works out. The patients still come, even if you cut an evening, like you create the practice you want and the patients will still be there if you're doing a good job leading your team. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, I would just say the same thing I say to my kids, which is work hard and treat people well and good things will come. Yep. Jennifer? Yeah, that's kind of to tag on what Paula said. I was thinking I would tell myself to have confidence in what you're doing and set those goals. I found that really setting the goals and shooting for the goals and striving towards them was just huge and not having mental goals, but actually physically writing them down and looking at them every day. And then having the confidence to make that change that you want to make. You are so scared. You're scared that everybody's going to run away. And I totally agree with Alex about the insurance. Don't be a slave to them. You think you won't have a practice, but you will. Um, You don't, the people still come. If you set the practice you want, people will come and you'll have the people that you want. The ones that scream the loudest are probably the ones you want them to go somewhere else anyway. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) have confidence in letting them go because they create the biggest stress anyway. So just have confidence, trust yourself, and uh, you'll be successful and have the practice that you want and the family lifestyle that you want. Good stuff. Thank you, ladies, for being a part of this. You know, I love each of you and you're each phenomenal women and business owners, regardless of any measuring stick being used. I've said it before, but I really look at my clients and our listeners as like how kind of how I look at my kids when it comes to the seriousness at which I weigh my words and the content that we put out and how much I really want them to be successful. Before heading out today, is there anything you guys want to say to those listening that I didn't give you the opportunity to to say? No, just thanks so much for having us and for all the coaching you've done over the years. And uh, it was fun. Yeah, that's. I would just say thanks for having us and just thanks for the coaching and for uh, you know helping us find that balance that we're looking for. Yep. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> You're welcome. But thank you, guys. So. As we wrap up here, if anyone is interested in learning more about uh, TLP or coaching or anything like that, you can reach out to us 
at Justin, Steve, or Derek at thelifestylepractice.com. Other than that, I think you guys have some good pearls to walk away with from these awesome gals. And until next week, peace. Jump without a net, never break a sweat, cause I live my life.